Welcome, everybody. Another episode of Hollywood Godfather. And I'm sitting with my co-writer, friend, Mr. Pat Picciarelli. Hi, everybody. Boy, is it another episode already? Do you believe this? I can't believe it. I can't. How many? We've got about 170 of these. We're in our ninth season this starting right now. You know, I never did anything nine times in a row. You know, it, <laughs> I this is so. uh, it, it just, just fascinates. I'm very proud of myself for doing this. So anyway, it's, it's fun. We have a, a, two requests from uh, emails for two great shows. I heard. Yeah, we do. Uh, the first one, which which we're going to do this week, uh, comes from Fred, and Fred uh, asked the question. Actually, it was more of, of a comment. He said. You know, I've heard about uh, the Italians helping the war effort during World War II and Lucky Luciano's part in that effort. You know, it's, it's, it's a part of history. You read about it all the time, how he, uh, uh, how, how he helped the, uh, the war effort while he was serving 40-something years for pandering. And that's another story. 40 years for being a pimp. That's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and how after uh, uh, after the war was over, he was released because uh, our government was thankful. But Fred says, were you aware of the uh, of the uh, Jewish effort on this end to uh, help the allies, the, the, the Jewish mob, the killers of murder incorporated, uh, the, 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 the brains behind the mafia, Maya Lansky, what they were doing to help the war effort. So I said to myself, I said, self, no. I've never heard of that, but I'm going to research it. And uh, we did. We, we researched it and we came up with some very interesting things. Would you care to hear about them? I do. I know of about course. them, too. <laughs> it's a good thing you said yes, otherwise we would have a very short show. Anyway, uh, as I said, uh, Charles Lucky Luciana, his name is Luciana. Why they call him Luciana was beyond me. What, what's, the, what's the background on that? I have no idea. His, his name ended in an A, not an O. Anyway, uh, in uh, 1939, uh, uh, when, when the war uh, kicked off with the invasion of Poland, and it was, it was a world war, only we weren't involved in it at the time. The rest of the world was, but, but uh, we weren't. Uh, uh, President Roosevelt was under a lot of pressure to keep us out of the war uh, by iso what they call isolationists. Because of our experiences in World War One, we were pulled in at the very end of the war. We were only involved in World War One for a little over a year. We turned the tide, uh, but back then there was isolationists also that didn't want us involved with other people's problems. Now the, that was called the war to end all wars, and lo and behold, we have another world war. And uh, Roosevelt was under a lot of pressure to keep us out. Well, after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December seventh, nineteen forty-one. He couldn't do that anymore. So we're involved in the war. And as, as, uh, as part of that, New York Harbor, which was a very important harbor in this country, uh, the uh, Lend-Lease program uh, uh, left from there. All the supplies we sent to uh, England left from there. The Nazis were heavily involved and sabotaged in that area. So uh, as history tells us, and this, this aren't, uh, isn't a conspiracy theory, 
this is a historical fact. Uh, the federal government went to uh, Lucky Luciano, who was at that time doing a stiff prison sentence of over 40 years for, of all things, being a pimp. Uh, and that's another story. I mean, how the the boss would get involved in a day-to-day uh, running of brothels is beyond me. They just wanted to get this guy, and they got him, and they hit him with a severe sentence. So he's in, but they figured... Maybe this guy could be of some use. So Luciano didn't come to the feds for an easy out of jail. They came to him and they said, we have a problem on the docks in that our ships are getting sabotaged. Our commerce is getting sabotaged. It's no secret that you guys run the docks. Can you help us? So Luciano said, uh, yes. And he didn't even ask what's in it for me. He just assumed that something would be in it for him when everything was over. You know, one thing about, about wise guys I found, Johnny, let me know if you thought the same thing. These guys throughout history, even after the war, are intensely patriotic. Oh, my God, yeah. Definitely are. I mean, uh, they appreciated they America, believe me. Absolutely. Well, obviously, America was good to them. But it went so far when I was uh, when I was growing up. Uh, these guys, particularly the, the, the bosses, could not drive a foreign car. You had to drive a Cadillac. Yeah, American. That's America made. Yeah, America first. So they were they were happy to help. So the end of the war rolls around. Uh, 1945, Germany is beat. Japan is beat. Dropped a couple of bombs. And uh, Luciano contributed heavily to the war effort. And now he's saying, what are you going to do for me? Now, by this time, Thomas Dewey was the governor of New York State. Uh, prior to that, he was a gang-busting prosecutor, and that's what propelled his career. Uh, Thomas Dewey said he was going, going to destroy organized crime. He worked on the Italians, but his 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 real expertise was with the Jews, Jewish gangsters, and there was uh, a heavy heavy Jewish uh, presence in organized crime, particularly Murder Incorporated. He decimated- was, just to give our audience a little history too. If they want to learn more about what we're talking about, I co-starred a movie with Tony you? Curtis called Lepke. I didn't know that. And he played Louis Buchalter. I played Albert Anastasia in the movie called Lepke. And, you know, a lot of this was very factual. Of course, movies, you know, have to have a, 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 a dramatic effect. But Anastasia gave the orders to uh, Murder Incorporated, who they wanted whack to keep the uh, distance away from the American mafia. Yep. Uh, but these guys, there's a very good book out. Uh, you can buy it used now. It's called Tough Jews. And it was all about uh, the Jewish gangsters in the Bedford-Stuyvesant area during the World War II and, and just prior to. These guys were absolutely brutal. I mean, they would do anything. They were responsible for way over a thousand killings during the reign of Murder Incorporated, which didn't really last that long. Right. We're talking about 10 years. They were killing people left and right. And the way they killed them, the brutal gangsters. And they were all they were all Jews. A lot of them went to the electric chair. Anyway, let's get back to Lucky Luciano. He he wants to get out of prison. Only now no one's paying attention to him. And now Thomas Dewey, the crusading prosecutor, is the governor of New York State. He wants to be president. So naturally, to be president... You have to create a war chest, and uh, it's it's expensive. I mean, it's you know a lot more expensive now than it was then. But you know the dollar is relative; it costs a lot of money. 
So he was adamant he was not going to let Luciano out until he got a $50,000 donation to his presidential campaign fund. And miraculously, it must have been a coincidence. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Coincidentally, after he gets the 50 grand, now this isn't very widely known. Uh, you, you can try to find stories about it on, on, uh, on the Internet. And there's, there, you know, there's stories that allude to it. But uh, we did a, uh, uh, quite a lot of digging here. And it was fact. They didn't hide it. And uh, Dewey should always say, well, my presidential campaign is taking donations from everywhere. But $50,000 back then was an awful lot of money. And once they got it, Luciano is, is, uh, is cut loose and deported to Italy. What a coincidence. I thought that was fascinating. But now, you might, you know, it wasn't only the, the Italians. The, 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 the Jews had a more hands-on role in helping the Allies uh, during the war. What Luciano did was supply intelligence, which was also extremely valuable. Right. But there, there, weren't, there weren't any gang wars on the docks. He supplied intelligence. The FBI did what the FBI is charged in doing. The Jews, however, really kicked some ass. And uh, what we found out was uh, in 1938, New York City had a Nazi problem. All right. There's an area in, uh, in uh, New York City, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, and it's still there called uh, Yorkville. Oh, yeah. And it's the Upper East Side. And that's where they all settled. It's German. Yeah. yeah. After, after, after the First World War, there was an influx of Germans into that area. And it's, and it, it's, it's still German. Some of the best uh, uh, German restaurants are still in that area. Oh, it's still, it remained uh, that. Even, even after that whole Hitler worshipping was demolished, which is so interesting. But you're about to tell them. It's amazing. Oh, okay. Yes. There was uh, an, an, an American organization called the German American Bund, that's B-U-N-D. And this wasn't an idea of Adolf Hitler's. Uh, he relished the fact that there were uh, uh, Americans who were interested in helping Germany during the war. And he just uh, built on it. I mean, you know, there were spies involved in there. Anything, any, any time he got Americans to help, of course, he liked it. But this was strictly an American organization, infiltrated, of course, by uh, real live German Nazis. So uh, at the time, there were 12 million German immigrants in, in the U.S., and about one out of 500 were members of the German-American Bund. 12 now, million? 12 million German immigrants, yeah. Wow. And one out of 500 were in this organization. And that's a lot of people. No kidding. Uh, and this is, this is before 1940. It's a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, it's it started it started before uh, Germany invaded Poland, but you know they, they were you know Hitler was gearing up to take over the world, but uh, I tell you you know there were a lot of prominent people that were on Hitler's side. Charles A. Lindbergh was a staunch uh, Hitler supporter. Joe Kennedy was a strong Hitler supporter. Uh, Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of England. Uh, uh, did everything uh, Hitler wanted. He sucked uh, England into the war. He believed everything Hitler had to say. They, Hitler and Germany signed a peace agreement. Uh, and uh, Neville Chamberlain, being the prime minister, signed it for England. He believed everything Adolf Hitler told him. And we all know how that worked out. Huh. Neville Chamberlain wound up uh, later in, in disgrace for obvious reasons. But anyway, in the German-American Bond literature, 
he called the Jewish people a menace and a threat to democracy. And the Bund would hold massive rallies on, on the Upper East Side, hundreds if not thousands of people dressed in German uniforms, goose-stepping. You know, that was, they had a, a significant or a particular way that they marched, if you ever watched the old uh, newsreels. Yeah, it's called I, the goose-step. Yeah, if I ever try to do this, I think I get a hernia. I mean, I, that's. I mean, that's, that's so tough, tough, that's and, and, and to march for a long time that way. I, I mean, I marched in the army. They look man, like rockets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I couldn't do that for more than a block and a half. I mean, these guys were tough. Anyway, they did this with dressed in brown shirted uniforms, just like the uh, uh, the, uh, the Hitler Youth in, in Germany, and all the supporters. The uh, uh, it was it was here and. We live in a democracy. First yeah, I was shocked to see even their, their rally at Madison Square Garden, the police protection they got. Well, they have to have police protection. I know, but for well, I'm I'm so pro-American. Well, I I got to know one Nazi hater, and we we had destroyed him in Vegas. Name? Oh yeah, you know we had a show about him, him and his brother. And he owned, he owned the uh, hotel where he had a Nazi museum. And he, he celebrated Hitler's birthday every year. Who's this? Uh, what's his name? Jeez, uh, two brothers. Um, well, you think about it. Yeah, they owned, right, they owned the, ho the hotel right across from Caesar's Palace. You know, I, I tell you, with, 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 with Hitler, and we, we all know what kind of a monster he was, he was considered for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1939 because he brought... Uh, the economy of Germany up from nothing after the uh, First World War. They were decimated. Uh, and he, he brought the economy of Germany up and consequently the economy of uh, all of Western Europe up until he goosed up his way in, into Poland. And that was the, the, the end of the, uh, you know, the, uh, any idea that he was going to get the Peace Prize. But he was a brilliant guy. And there was a lot of famous people that were on his side. I mentioned a few names. But uh, anyway, there was a U.S. congressman, a former U.S. congressman, and, uh, and a current judge named uh, Nathan David Perlman, who saw the path that the Bund was on and trying to swing people. I mean, you know, you can you can equate that with, with some of the uh, things that go on s social media today. You see these organizations that virtually believe everything. I mean, these the, the most ridiculous uh, conspiracy theories. And, uh, you know, the the book, the, the, the Bund was something similar trying to sway public opinion. Now we have social media. It didn't have it then. They had a bunch of uh, German sympathizers marching up and down York Avenue, and it was working. So he knew their actions, that, that the Bund, this guy Perlman, he knew that their, uh, that the Bund's actions were not illegal. Uh, but he couldn't do anything about it, because under the First Amendment, we have the right in this country to, to, to protest. That's why we have to supply uh, uh, security. That's the, the First NYPD. Amendment that's destroyed us Gotta a few do. times. I mean, <laughs> just, be, just because you don't agree with something doesn't mean that they don't have the right to say it unless they advocate overthrow of the United States government, which the Bund was not doing. They just want to sympathize us on this side. So what he decided one day, he got this revelation and he said, you know, what these Nazis need is a good ass weapon. And, and, and he, he set out to uh, call a gentleman by the name of Maya Lansky. Now, we all heard of Maya Lansky. Uh, oh, Maya. I, I, I well, had the privilege of being with him for the last 
years of his life. But you know, yeah, it's interesting to me. And then Meyer recruited another guy that I happen to know, Mickey Cohen, who's a grandfather to one of my sons. So I mean, all these guys. And these guys are tough, you know. Oh, they were boxers. I mean, they, they were tough. They, they, you know, I'm, I'm a very big admirer of uh, uh, Israel. They're, oh, surrounded, they're surrounded by enemies. Uh, they're hated. And these people are so tough, they survived. They're so I'll resilient. You, it's amazing. I'll tell you one fair story before we get back to this. Uh, we were doing security for El Al. This was uh, after... Uh, there was a spate of uh, airline hijackings. You know, somebody discovered, hey, you can steal a plane in the, in, uh, in midair. And there was all sorts of them in, in the 1970s, if you recall. El Al had one plane hijacked, and that was the end of that. Uh, they put up security uh, measures where they had no hijackings from there on in the 70s and 80s. Everybody else is getting hijacked except them. Uh, they, had a, they had a great system going. They profiled they, they were judgmental. You didn't get on that plane if they didn't like you. But here's what I discovered. The guy that I was working with uh, was a security expert and a bounty hunter. He was my partner for a while. His name was Marvin Battler. He's still alive. He's living in Florida. He's an older man now. But he takes me to JFK one day where El Al had its hub. And he said, we're, we're going to go early because we were doing security for the planes and other stuff. And he said, if you get there early enough, you're going to see what I'm about to show you. So we drive into JFK, and it's about 5.30 in the morning. The sun's just coming up, and you see this platoon of young men in uh, military uniforms uh, and boots and T-shirts. And they're running, and they're chanting Israeli songs. Now, these guys lived in the basement underneath the El Al airline terminal, and they would they would only come out in the morning to run an exercise. They would run around JFK Airport, and then they would go right back into the hole. And their sole job was, if anybody had the uh, had the gonads to hijack a plane from JFK, they were instructed to go on that plane and take it back. And obviously, there was going to be violence. And as soon as the violence was over, they were going to get on another plane, which was always waiting at JFK, a plane waiting to go, which never went anywhere. But if there was a violent take back of a hijacked LL plane, these soldiers, the ones that survived, would, would before the NYPD or the FBI even responded, they'd be on that plane back to Israel. No, I mean, Tough. and that's that's where we got the idea of putting marshals on planes. They they taught us. Yeah, look, I tell you, I mean, I dealt with these Israelis for, for quite a few years through Marvin. These guys, these you know, it was back in the seventies. These guys survived concentration camps. They they, they survived uh, the, uh, uh, the the Six Day War in nineteen sixty seven. These guys are tough. Yeah, and I I, I, I always admire them. So they call it, them it, Mossad. Well, that's the Secret Service, you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, you get uh, people, uh, you know, the gangsters that we're going to talk about, uh, Maya Lansky, uh, Mickey Cohen. These guys are are you know being jewish is a religion for them it was a race right. i mean these these are born and bred tough jews hence the title of the book i just spoke about before so anyway this guy perlman a jewish gentleman himself approaches my lansky and he said and i'm paraphrasing here he said that yes uh lansky if he has some boys who want to punch a nazi that's the way he put it 
And Lansky told him that we can do better than punch. Yeah, he wanted to kill them. <laughs> yeah, he, he said, uh, and and he knew just the people that could help him out, which was the Brownsville boys, Murder Incorporated. Oh, yeah. But Lansky had grown up on, on, on the Lower East Side with, uh, with uh, Benny Siegel, uh, Luciano, everybody became rich and powerful in the 40s. But even Lewis Bookhalter. Well, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but by the 40s, Lansky was a very, very wealthy and powerful man, correct? Yes. So he didn't have to get involved in any of this. He could have sat back. But he was a patriot. Uh, Very much so, because he got got down and dirty. He was there with a club, and I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So uh, Perlman declined Lansky's offer to kill uh, Nazis. He just said, he wanted Lansky to teach the Bund a lesson that they would never forget. Uh, and uh, they did. I'm looking for the names of some of these people. Anyway, uh, uh, many of the New York Germans lived in Yorkville and East 86th Street. Oh, by the way, they called this uh, Sauerkraut Boulevard. <laughs> Something yeah. I didn't know. Uh, and they would, then, you know, they would frequently have uh, parades there. And they would uh, march through Kalshurs Park, which is where Gracie Mansion is, where right. the mayor lives. Uh, to the uh, an establishment that was up at the time called Yorkville Casino. And uh, waiting for them at the casino after one of these marches was Lansky and his Jewish gangster friends, including members of Murder Incorporated. Now, some of these names we have spoken about in the past, a guy named Mendy Weiss, M-E-N-D-Y, no, Mendy Weiss, Weiss yeah. truly a psychopath. Yeah. Uh, he wound up going to the electric chair, but he was involved... Uh, uh, Mendy worked as a kidnapper for Murder Incorporated, and his his method of killing was to strangle people with his hands. I while, mean, he a told, lot. while he told you a joke, <laughs> <laughs> they called him the Choker. I know, I know. I mean, <laughs> when I did that movie, I mean, I read about all these guys, and I said, "Who wrote this? This can't be true. It's can't make, totally true." You can't make this stuff up. Mendy Weiss loved to get somebody's neck in his hands. And strangle the life out of him. You know, you see in, in the movie, somebody gets uh, gets strangled. It takes like five seconds. It could take a good five minutes to strangle somebody. Yeah. And that's not using your hands. That's using a garrote or something that you can apply pressure to. With your hands, you have to have powerful, powerful hands to do that. And it takes time. People are squirming. They lose body fluids. They're oh, they're fighting you. for their lives. Hello. And, and he loved it. So we had Mendy Weiss. We had a guy by the name of Bugsy Goldstein. Uh, rumored to crack jokes while killing people. Uh, uh, Harry Strauss, they called him Pep. Uh, he was also extremely brutal. He also died in the electric chair. And a guy named Jacob Drucker, uh, known as the Ice Pit Man. I wonder, wonder why. Yeah, we'll have to look it up. Okay. Uh, he, he, he loved to stick people. When I read the book, he, he liked to pick his, uh, pick his place where he was going to kill people. And uh, going to the movies during the 1940s was uh, something that everybody did because you wanted to get away from all the war news and everything. So people went to the movies a lot. He would like to sit, sit behind you. <laughs> behind, exactly. And he would stick the ice pick through the seat while the guy was watching with people all around him. And he'd <laughs> stick them, leave it in, and walk away. That was his specialty. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, when I... Till I I co-starred with Tony Curtis and 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 uh, Anjanette Coma, and who I had the most fun with 
was like a super Jew, Milton Berle. He played Anjanette Coma's father. Oh, really? Who was a rabbi in this movie. And he didn't know his son-in-law, Louis Bookhalter, was the head of Murder Incorporated. <laughs> I tell you, I, let me ask you this question. He, he came on our uh, tactical patrol force bus once when we were on some kind of a, a detail. He's just like cops. He, he, he came on the bus. It's Milton Berle. Right. And he just talked for a half an hour nonstop telling jokes and anecdotes. This guy couldn't. I mean, he was great. No, he was, he was trying to entertain us on his own dime. What kind of guy was he on set? Oh, he's the best. No, and yeah. he had his brother there too. But you know what? People don't realize when the Milton Berle show was shot in New York at the CBS Theater, where we saw Letterman, where we're seeing Colbert now. That's how Jackie Gleason shows there. Yeah, Jackie Gleason. Yeah, I was. I saw the show there. I mean that. that so and, and so, but what, where I'm going with is he made so much money that they bought him a house, a brownstone, on 54th Street between Park and Madison Avenue. His wife hated it. He gave it to the Friars Club, which was an organization of theater and, and you know artists. He gave the five-story building. It's still the Friars Club. And that was his building? That was his building. I didn't know. That's a, that's a, that's a hell of a gift. That was his house. That'd be worth hundreds of millions of dollars today. Well, today, yeah, but no, but why he did it? You, <laughs> he had the greatest. He he did it, and he had a, a five year loss carryover in his income tax because he was yeah. making so much money. <laughs> so the why it was a wash for him, but his wife loved it because she wanted to live up in Westchester, not the city. Well, I tell you, uh, for those of you who don't know, Milton Berle was known as Mister Television. He was the superstar of superstars. Anyway, getting back to uh, Lansky, he, he divided his group, his, his crew, into three groups. Uh, you know, once, once these, these uh, marches ended, they would go to this ballroom. So they had one group was outside. It was five gangsters with baseball bats and pool cues. Uh, on the outside, they, they would wait to pound the hell out of the Nazis as they ran out. Uh, on the second floor, uh, Five more planned on uh, on attacking from above, throwing stuff off off the balcony, anything they could find, tables, you name it. They would throw stuff on top of these Nazis. And in the back of the casino sat Lansky and his, and his friends who listened to the ugly speeches before randomly unleashing these people. Lansky would give the go-ahead, but also would join in with the beatings. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, he was there. I tell you, that's why, I, you know, he used to sit with me in his older years. And the only reason I knew he was telling the truth, not that he would lie, but sometimes, you know, you tell the war stories, you exaggerate. But I heard all these stories about this guy. He was a tough little man. Okay. There was 15 of them at this, uh, this, this, this first battle fighting 3,000 Nazis. 3,000. And they won. Well, you know, as as they said, though, the Nazis, they they basically, they weren't fighters. They were great, you know, demonstrators and all of that. But well, they also weren't weren't soldiers. The soldiers were, were fighting a war in, in Western Europe. Right, These guys right. were people who were supporting the Nazis. But can you imagine fifteen guys swinging pool cues, beat up three thousand Nazis, and I, you know, they didn't stay and fight. A lot of them ran, but that's what the guys were 
uh, waiting outside. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So uh, anyway, you think it's time to take a little break here? All right, let's do a commercial. We'll come right back. Don't go anywhere. We know where you live. (laughs) We'll be right back. Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here. Before we get to our listeners' emails, a quick word about the new fiction book series I've launched. Private investigator Ray Yale tackles his first two cases in Bloodshot Eyes and The Pop Line. Both books are on paperback and are available on Amazon.com. All right, we're back. Let's okay, get so back to the, the Nazis and the Jews. I love it. Yeah, it's just not, not like an Alamo thing. I mean, they're vastly outnumbered, but they won. Anyway, uh, people were laying unconscious with, the, with their heads cracked open. Uh, others had compound fractures of limbs because one thing gangsters Yeah, but the know, one thing we, I, we forgot to let our audience know, most of these organizations, that organization, the women and everybody would go. Yeah. So when you have that crowd could be women and children and as supporters of Hitler. So what are you going to do? Those guys were protecting their wives from getting their heads smashed, whatever else. And they took advantage of all of that. uh, A person who was on on the scene, this is where I've been getting some of this information from, he said they they accomplished what the uh, judge Perlman wanted them to do, to beat them up. But they barely accomplished it because a lot of people were ruined for life after these beatings. Oh, yeah, broken, no. cracked. I mean, uh, bad. Uh, uh, Bugsy and uh, and uh, uh, Drucker, for example, tossed the guy out of a second story window. Uh, yeah, he never walked again. No, right? Yeah, he survived, but he never walked again. Uh, uh, Afterward, Lansky and uh, the people he was with uh, dropped their weapons. Uh, and by the way, they were wearing American Legion hats. Right. <laughs> Just to separate the good guys from the bad guys. And they, and they just dropped their weapons, took off their hats, tossed them, and just walked into the night. Uh, exactly as uh, Lansky had planned. Now, this guy was a super planner. And oh, Lansky always was, yeah. He, he wasn't only good with the books. He, he was good with the bats, apparently, also. No, he was a, a strong, I mean, a, yeah, a tough guy, a street guy. But, I mean, when you start talking about these guys, I mean, well, Mickey Cohen was a fighter. I mean, this guy yeah. trained. He was a boxer. And very tough, yeah, in the ring. But yeah. like you said, but when they had a cause, which always impressed me of how they'd go to the defense of America. It was just not about Jews, it was about well, the American way. Well, you know, uh, this, this this judge didn't know what the Jews' motivation was. So he offered to pay Lansky, who uh, refused. He was insulted. But he said, uh, I'm a Jew and I feel for the Jews in Europe who are suffering. And we will do this until it's over. And they kept on doing this. So uh, Lansky didn't want any help either. Uh, Lucky Luciano. Yeah, he wanted off- to offer the Italians. He thought, no. Yeah, he said, uh, he, he quote, I want to assist in the ass whippings. Because now it's getting to be fun, I guess, you know. Uh, but Lansky said, now, this is a job for Jews. Uh, the, they called it the Battle of Yorkville, uh, which had its desired effect. So here's, here's what the numbers were. Uh, when the next bond meeting was scheduled for White Plains, only about 250 of an expected 1,000 Nazis showed. Many couldn't show uh, because they were hurt. Right. Uh, a, a strong police presence kept, kept Lansky's crew from getting into the arena where he wanted to actually attack them uh, while this was going on. Uh but uh, the only way to get there was was to bribe somebody. This is the organized crime way. 
You know, mm-hmm. so if you can spend money, spend it. So he bribes two local Jewish teenagers, the grand sum of a dollar each to get on stage <laughs> to beat these guys up. Well, not and only just, that, those two kids, if my memory serves me right, was throwing Malenkov cocktails into them. Well, they, yeah, they, they, they supplied uh, uh, cork bottles, which were a Molotov cocktail. It's called a Malenkov cocktail. <laughs> but the speech, so, so the speech gets underway, and one, one boy yelled, and this was a high insult because it was true, uh, Hitler's got one ball. And, that, that, and, and the ball threw the, the, the Molotov cocktail. He also threw stink bombs. Uh, by the time the arena was aired out, you know, the, 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 the proceedings restarted, even more empty seats. Uh, but the bottom line is the war of intimidation was working. So this is like a war of attrition. You know, you keep you keep beating them down. Eventually, it's not going to work. Right. So uh, President Roosevelt heard of this uh, because it's a violation of the First Amendment. Everybody has the right. You know, as we explain. Right. Uh, Roosevelt said, and, and this is a quote, this is his unofficial position, was to make the American Nazis uncomfortable wherever possible. I guess if you get your skull fractured, that could be uncomfortable. <laughs> so <laughs> now this starts to spread because it's so successful in Manhattan. It, uh, it, it spread to Chicago, uh, where a city, uh, uh, where, where boarding house signs plainly announced, no Jews or dogs allowed. And, and, and this got uh, told to uh, Jake Guzak, they call him Greasy Thumb. Right. You know, he got that yeah. <laughs> How did he get that name? You know, I don't know. I okay, know. Well, well, I knew only he was like a legend in Chicago. I guess that's forever lost in mob history. But Jay Greasy Thumb Guzak uh, was Chicago's senior. He was Jewish with Capone. Yes, yeah, he, he was Capone's right hand man. Uh, so uh, he, Guzak said, I'm in <laughs> and asked if he knew any people that could punch a Nazi. So the next time Chicago's German American bun met. They were waylaid by various uh, hardened Jewish boxers, including Jacob Rubenstein, who would later be known as my, my guy that killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby. <laughs> it's Jack amazing Ruby how I boxer. know this history. Jack Ruby was a boxer by uh, by avocation right. when he started out. He's a tough guy. Yep. He was involved. And these uh, assaults on, on, on the Nazis. See, that's history. why Jack Ruby, nobody realized it. That's where they gave him that, changed his name so it wasn't so, you know. So Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. They moved him to Texas. And he was running all the brothels for Costello, Lansky, and Ocado. But this is where he started. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he was heavily indebted to, to, to Chicago. And oh, my God. And the other God, way yeah. around, too. Yeah, it, until he lost his head a little, but that's for another story. Anyway, so it spreads. Now it goes from Chicago. It's going west. And the, the Jews are jumping on buses, and they're going. Los Angeles, Detroit, Cleveland, uh, with every battle between the Nazis and the Jews ending the same. Uh, the gangsters had an appetite for violence that even overwhelmed these Nazis. And we all know about Nazis and violence. But they were fighting for something. Right. Oh, and when 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 you're fighting for something, when you're when your landsmen are getting are getting fried in ovens in, in, in Germany in Poland, I mean, and you could do something about it here, you let loose. Hello. No, it's, uh, it's so some of these yeah. stories. It's so great that we're able to pass it on to anybody who wanted to listen because 
you know, their, their patriotism. Well, I tell you, that's not even theirs. It is amazing to me. And in, in, in one brawl outside of Buffalo, this is now this, these beatings are spreading nationwide and it's diminishing the power of the Bund. But one Jewish hood said, uh, uh, after the battle, he said, uh, next time we ain't going to be so nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't love these guys. Well, that's when, that's why they didn't want, uh, you know, uh, the, the Italians involved because the Italians wanted to kill them. Yeah. Well, uh, Lansky had an agreement with this Judge Perlman. Right. He said, if you want him dead, we will make him dead. But Perlman said no. You know, yeah, just we, heard we, we don't want to we don't want to bring uh, ourselves down to their depth. You know, well, not only the that, and then they knew we had National Guard. You would have all kinds of. Yeah, once you start dropping bodies, then then you then you got a problem. But uh, anyway, so they the, the Bund started to operate in uh, in New Jersey. I don't know what they figured. There are there any Jews in New Jersey? Well, there was one named uh, uh, what his street name was Longy Longy Swilman. Longy, uh, yeah, Longy, yeah. Tough gangster. He he spent his Jersey childhood defending Jews from Polish bullies. So he was waiting for them to, to yeah. cross the Hudson to start something in Jersey. So the, the well, he, you know, he, he eventually joined Murder Incorporated. Yeah. They, they recruited him in New Jersey. I don't, I don't think it took much recruiting. They no, said, but hey, I mean, but that's, on, well, they, you had to be invited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, what are you doing on Friday? You have to come out to, over to Brooklyn and we'll kill a bunch of people. Sure, I'm in. All right. So anyway, they scheduled, the Bund schedules uh, meetings for Newark. They posted flyers all over the place. Uh, they they said that the streets were going to run with Jewish blood. Perlman contacted uh, Longy about the Nazi plans. He, he, uh, he uh, deputized some of his uh, enforcers. And I was a guy, I, I never heard of this name. Maybe you did. Uh, his name was Nat Arno, A-R-N-O. He was called Nat the Fighting Hebrew, a boxer, Arno. Did you ever hear him? No, never did. Uh, he was itching to get involved in this. He's the one who put together the Jersey crew. Arno recruited other Jewish fighters. And uh, they were known as the anti-Nazi Minutemen of America. <laughs> they even had a name. I love it. Want to get your ass kicked? Join this, join this club and you won't. Uh, a lot of them just plain love to fight. I mean, I'm sure not all of them were uh, were uh, you know, Jewish nationalists. They just want to kick some ass. Uh, you know, busting up Nazi creeps sounded like fun. Well, you know, and, they. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they thought, like you said, the world knew how many people they annihilated, how many Jews. I mean, kids, mothers, fathers, they were all separated and, yeah. and fried. Yeah, this was only at, this was at, at the at the beginning. Concentration camps were a rumor, uh, but you know the people in the know knew. I mean, the family over there. So, and they got other guys involved. Uh, other fighters, uh, Jaime the Weasel Kugel, uh, was seen uh, uh, beating people with frying pans. A Golden Glove boxing champ, a guy named Harry the Drop of Levine. Uh, it, it was a hobby that thrilled guys like Putty Hinks. His only complaint was the restriction on their work. It's too bad we couldn't kill them all, <laughs> he's quoted as saying. <laughs> I'm surprised they had the restraint, to tell you the truth. You know, that fights like this t- t- tend to take on a life of their own. Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, it's shocking that nobody really died. Well, maybe they did and they got rid of the bodies. I don't know. But... Well, this, this turned the tide against American Nazism. This is how powerful these guys were. And nobody ever heard of this. Right. 
I mean, it's... And, it's, uh, it's, and you know, it's so funny that you said that because it really wasn't exploited as part of American history of that was a whole maybe 10 years of that or eight or nine years until, until Pearl Harbor. Then that all switched. Well, because what happens in Europe stays in Europe. That was our attitude, you know. That's where they get the Las Vegas thing from. But anyway, the, the, the biggest battle uh, was in 1939 uh, in Madison Square Garden, which is in the heart of New York. This was the first Madison Square Garden on 50th Street. Uh, it, was an, an, it was supposedly a pro-American event, but it was really uh, an event to push uh, anti-Semitism. More than 1,700 NYPD cops were there to protect the venue, but Lansky uh, had his crew. Uh, many of the uniform Nazi stories, like 1,700 cops here. What could possibly go wrong? Well, they found out uh, uh, they were they were beaten senseless, and that was that was their their uh, death knell. Well, the thing they, the thing about that I know about that was they knew they had all these the, the seventeen hundred cops there, so they, they waited at the train stations every way they were coming in and beating them up before they got there. <laughs> well, that too, and and also, I mean. I'm, I'm not going to. If I'm a cop in 1940, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm, I'm going to watch these guys getting beaten. I mean, these, these were the scumbags of the earth. Hello. You know, sympathizers. You know, granted, they, they weren't. Uh, uh, none of them were military. But after the Madison Square battle, that was the end of the Bund. And you can thank the Jewish people for that. But what was that, 1940? 39. 39. Yeah. Yeah, before. You know, think about it. If these guys hadn't taken some action, because, you know, the, the, the worst politicians would have let them do whatever they wanted to do and hung their hat on, on the First Amendment. If these Jewish gangsters didn't do what they did, this bond would have gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. It would have lasted till the end of the war. And then who knows who could have infiltrated them and what damage they could have done. Here. Yeah. We would have had real Nazi spies in, this, in these bonds, destroying ships, killing people. Uh, at, at the end of it all, uh, as to why Maya Lansky and, uh, and, uh, and Mickey Cohen, gangsters from two different coasts, basically, offered their services pro bono, basically, to this judge. They gave exactly uh, the, the same reason, each one of them. It was my patriotic duty. Yep, yep. And R.I.P., well, I can't even say R.I.P., but that was the, that was the end of the month. But the funniest thing about all of those guys, when you see... How, like you mentioned, Lansky was probably the best organizer and really mapped things out. That's when they started taking over the unions and that undercurrent and that reputation that they had. They organized all of California, all well, the Screen yeah. Actors Guild, all the trade unions. That's all Jewish and still well, is today. Lansky... Uh, from this little inception of one fight in, in Yorkville, organized the entire country. Yep. Every major city in the country where there was a rally, he had men there. I mean, he wasn't traveling, you know, all across the United States. He, right. he, he ran the East Coast end of it. But that, that was his organizational skill. Little Jewish guy. Now, who had, who had the foresight when they're organizing an Italian-American organized crime organization to bring in a little Jewish guy? Whose idea was that? Well, that's what I'm saying, man. That's why they created the syndicate. He sat with all the, all the Italians and showed them, if we do it this way, 
not just with brawn, with brains. But who had the intellect and the foresight? There had to be one guy to say, let's have him sit down. And five guys didn't get together and all agree. Somebody had to, had to be at the forefront of, of letting Jews uh, particularly, you know, uh, uh, Meyer Lansky or any Jew. Well, Meyer, 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 Meyer had that kind of strength and backing. He made I'm a lot that. of money during Prohibition. But at the inception of it, nobody had any money that was trying to organize. Who did you think, given your expertise, was his most uh, fervent supporter out of the original? Carlo Gambino, Frank Costello, really? Tony Accardo, because... Prior to that, you know, you had, the, as we all know about Capone, Capone was brawn. They wanted to organize it as a business. Not, the brawn could be handled a different way. And, and you know, it's, I, it's funny when you start to see the, the, when it was formed after the five families, they, the, 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 most of the killings were done by the Irish at that time. They wanted to do it. And look, well, that, mean, well that made sense. You want you want to separate the killings from your own organization, right? And 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 these other, you know these other groups. I'm not, I'm not counting Jews here because they worked. They were getting paid, right? Uh, the the the, uh, the the Irish, particularly the the Westies on the west side of Manhattan, they wanted to work for the mafia for the prestige. Yep. You know, I mean, they got a couple of bucks, I'm sure, but they, they wanted to do it to show their power. Because the Westies, as a group, there wasn't a lot of people. If you're talking in 20, 30 guys, that was it. That was it, but they did the work. Anyway, uh, uh, our, our dear listeners, uh, I, I, I hope you learned something tonight. You went to school. There's going to be a test, by the way. So I hope you paid. <laughs> no, hey, I, I hope you paid attention, but don't worry. That's right. We get, you never forget that Pat's a teacher. So I'm a teacher. He's okay, usually so giving a, t a test at the end of a lecture. <laughs> so fear not. We're going to have a review, and it's going to be all multiple choice. If you have any questions, see Gianni. I'm too busy. <laughs> well, <laughs> the end of another great show. And yeah, as I, we always say, you know, these shows are coming to you by request of people who mail us requests in our mailbag, and we're reorganizing it in the next week or two, so it's going to be a lot easier to get more people involved with what we're doing. As you can see, the shows are getting better and better and better, and we have to say and give you the, the compliments for asking such great questions. So the, the guy who asked about this, this show about... I, I think it's brilliant because it was right under our noses. And we, yeah, well, we I tell you, it's, it's, it's under our noses. It's something that nobody ever knew about. Nobody cared about, apparently. I know. I it's, mean, uh, this 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 is part of history. It should be mentioned. And no. it, I, I would venture to say it, it changed the course of the war. Because if this group would get stronger and stronger, they become a political force, too. Oh, no, no kidding. Oh. And, yeah, and there so. could have been an influence on the other wars that followed. Could be. You know. One little Jewish guy kicked ass and uh, helped win the war. Bravo, Meyer. Yes. On that note. Uh, and I'm glad I got to know him and spent a couple of years with him. There you go. It's amazing. And even Mickey Cohen. I mean, <laughs> knowing how tough Mickey Cohen was, and I knew his reputation, and uh, I, I don't know if we uh, anybody remembers this, I had to tell Mickey Cohen one night— and, 
in the Sands Hotel. I kept requesting, I got to talk to you, I got to talk to you, we'll talk later. We, everybody met in the coffee shop at the Sands, had the greatest Chinese food in the world. They actually brought the chef from New York to one of their favorite restaurants, and he had to do the, the food there and in, in the coffee shop at the Sands at night because everybody liked Chinese food. That's, that was a big thing. You have to leave the Copa in New York or any nightclub. You go to Chinatown for Chinese food. You know, funny you should bring that up. I live in a little small town in southwestern Pennsylvania. I haven't had good Chinese food in 30 years. <laughs> I know, but so... They, they, they have Chinese restaurants here, but... Oh, yeah, no, but yeah, I mean, they get good Chinese food. But, so that's why they brought this guy in. So uh, closing the night off, knowing that I knew all this about Mickey, I had to say to Mickey, like, can we talk privately? He said, what's going on? And I take him to a corner of the, of the coffee shop I said, I want you to know that, you know, your daughter is pregnant. And he looked at me and said, and why are you telling me? <laughs> right. And then the light bulb went off, and I think he's going to take off my head. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, let me tell you something. I really like you. Don't marry her. She spoiled her mother, destroyed her. And that's what I'm going to leave the audience with. I couldn't believe yeah, it. Think about that. We'll, we'll, we'll never know who the father was. Hello. Okay. Anyway. Okay, Johnny, I had a good night. I uh, hope you have a good yeah. night, too. Oh, no, it was great. And thank you all again for the contributions, and keep the cards and letters coming. All right. Be safe and stay healthy. See you next week. Bye-bye. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you'd like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.